The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. I think it's sepsis, almost like blood pressure. It's never the stagnant number that you're going to get. It can change over time. It's extremely hard to stop antimicrobials once they start. I think you can't put all of your money into a single test in order to determine if someone has sepsis or septic shock. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. As you can tell from the quotes, this podcast will focus on sepsis. We are reviewing two articles. The first is titled Prognostic Accuracy of the Quick Sequential Organ Failure Assessment for Mortality in Patients with Suspected Infection from the Annals of Internal Medicine, published February 6, 2018, and the accompanying editorial, QSOFA, Q Confusion, that was also published at the same time. Our guest for this episode is Dr. Rachel Lee, who's a colleague of mine at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Rachel is uh, an assistant professor in our Division of Infectious Diseases. She's the associate healthcare epidemiologist for both the university and the Birmingham VA Medical Center, and he's an active member of the Antimicrobial Stewardship Meeting. Her research focuses on multidrug-resistant pathogens as they relate to infection control. In this episode, we focus on the test characteristics of both QSOFA and SIRS. We discuss the importance of clinical evaluation in addition to the scoring rules. And then we talk about the implications of sepsis bundles and how clinical observation and judgment should modify the duration of antibiotics. So, Rachel, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, in order to discuss this particular article, we really need to go through a variety of questions about it. The basic idea of the original article was trying to figure out what the sensitivity and specificity were of SIRS and QSOFA. So, it would help if we went over SIRS and QSOFA first. I've actually written uh, the exact criteria down, Rachel, so I'm going to let you respond to them. The SIRS criteria, which is the one that we've used for a long time, is getting one point each for a fever greater than 100.4, a heart rate greater than 90, a respiratory rate of greater than 20, or a PCO2 less than 32, a white count greater than 12,000 or less than 4,000, or greater than 10% bands. And if you had two or more points, that was considered to be very high risk for sepsis. And I assume that this is something that you were used to using earlier in your career. Yes, that's definitely what I remember using being on the wards during residency. Right. So when we refer to the SERS criteria, that's the old stuff. The newer stuff that the sepsis guidelines are using is something called QSOFA. QSOFA gives you up to three points, one for altered mental status, and they define it by a decrease in the Glasgow Coma Score, a respiratory rate of greater than 22 or equal to 22, and a systolic blood pressure of less than 100. 
Now, these are both predictive models. So, Rachel, could you say a word about predictive models, and then we'll start talking about how we evaluate predictive models. For me, a predictive model is something that uses statistics in order to determine if a disease is present or absent. And so both QSOFA and the SERS criteria are attempting to identify patients that would have sepsis. As you can see, they're very broad in what they include there, and very few points can add up and then equal being septic. So the idea here is that we're going to add up points, and we're really using this like a diagnostic test. So any diagnostic test that comes out, we have to check and see whether or not it's any good. One of the major tests of any prediction model, any diagnostic test, is to validate it. So people propose a model, and then they test it in other patients. And that's what the original article in the February 20th, 2018 annals tries to do. Maybe you could explain the concepts of sensitivity and specificity so that they become very real in this discussion. Yeah, sure. So the way that I was taught about sensitivity and specificity was spin and snout. So let's talk about sensitivity first. Sensitivity is the ability of a test to correctly identify a true positive patient. So really what you want is something that has very few false negatives, right? You want to be able to identify people with a disease. And so a high sensitivity test is really useful for ruling out disease. So therefore, if that test is negative, you can feel pretty confident saying that that person does not have that disease. For specificity, that's ruling in. So it's really identifying a true negative proportion of tests correctly ID'd. So a high specificity test rules in disease. So you don't want to have a positive test in a healthy person. So if we're talking about sepsis and we don't want to miss patients with sepsis, but on the other hand, we don't want to label patients as having sepsis if they don't have sepsis. From your epidemiological perspective and from the multidrug resistant perspective, how big a problem is this in the United States in 2018? Sepsis is definitely a big problem. I think we as clinicians sometimes have difficulty identifying patients with sepsis. And if you look at some of the CDC data for sepsis-related mortality, it's pretty high, especially in Alabama. So the thought process of actually identifying patients with sepsis is good. But the sepsis task force didn't really want this QSOFA tool to be like a rule-out screening. And as you can see, the sensitivity and specificity of of these tests are, are very broad and not very good. So let's get to the meat of the editorial and the article, and I'm pulling them up. I hope you have them up also, Mm -hmm. but let's go over SIRS first and then QSOFA, because the article was written about QSOFA, but very interestingly, the people who did this meta-analysis, and this is a meta-analysis with over 30 studies that looked uh, and had data on predicting mortality, and they could calculate QSOFA scores and SIRS scores. So how consistent were the results in those studies? I mean, it looks like the specificities for QSOFA was extremely broad, 0.12 to 0.98. And then for, um, I'm sorry, that was the sensitivity. And then for specificity, it was 0.19 to 0.96. But what's going to change those numbers is going to be the patients that are included in your study. If you have a high positive predictive value, so say you have a large group of patients that have sepsis, then those SERS criteria and that SOFA criteria will likely be positive in those patients. 
So this is a very important concept, so let's work through this because it makes sense and it also makes mathematical sense. If you have a patient who you think is at risk for sepsis, perhaps an ICU patient with a central line, a Foley, an art line, and they develop a fever and then they have a positive QSO for a positive SIRS, your pretest probability is so high that having a sensitive test is going to be pretty good. And even if the test is not as specific, it's still going to be pretty good because there's such a high pretest probability. If you have a patient who had an MI and is just lying there without any central lines or anything and they develop changes or someone who's admitted with a GI bleed and doesn't have any major lines in, but they develop these things, their pretest probability is lower because there's no obvious reason they should have sepsis. Correct. And you also have to include the fact that I think of sepsis almost like blood pressure. It's never the stagnant number that you're going to get. It can change over time. So if you see someone as they come into the emergency department, maybe they aren't meeting those criteria. And so that may explain why that sensitivity test is not as good. But if you checked it again one hour later, maybe some of those points would add up because maybe their respiratory rate goes higher or something like that to include them in this protocol. So you gave us some good numbers for the range of sensitivity for QSOFA. Did you notice the ones for the SIRS also? Yeah, so it looks like the pooled sensitivity for SIRS was 88%, which that is higher for sure. And the specificity, though, was much lower at 25%. So what does that mean to you as an infectious disease specialist? So I think including white blood cell counts and oxygenation or PaCO2, those are good tests, you know, and I think the reason that these people made the QSOFA score is to take a step back. We need something to kind of screen people before waiting for some of these tests to come back. But of course, it's not the best test. And I think you can't put all of your money into a single test in order to determine if someone has sepsis or septic shock. So what we're looking at right now are the old test and the new test as early warning systems. What I've read and what I think I've seen is the concern that many clinicians have is they're being used as if they're perfect tests and they trigger a series of responses that the hospital's being measured on. Could you go into that a little bit more? Right. So the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, you know, in 2018, they said that they wanted all hospitals to have some sort of sepsis protocol. Our hospital included has a sepsis protocol and that we would be measured based on how well we do with that protocol. Although I don't think that they've truly defined how they're going to be measuring some of these things. So for instance, one of the things that's included in there is giving antibiotics within one hour. But what is that one hour? Is it one hour from the time they hit the ER door? Is it from one hour that you've triggered the sepsis protocol? Is it one hour from this QSOFA score? You know, it's it's very vague. And, and I think that's the concern because as hospitals, we will be measured against one another to determine how well we are doing. In these protocols, where's clinical judgment? So let's say that you're the attending physician uh, on the clinical service and happen to be up on the floor and they call uh, they say the Q-sofa is elevated, we're initiating the protocol, and you go in and see the patient, and you think that there's no good reason for this patient to be septic, and you think there's alternative explanations. 
I don't see alternative explanations involved in these articles. And I agree. And I think it may be difficult to stop a protocol once it's already started, because as clinicians and as nurses and nurse practitioners, those that are on the floor dealing with patients, we're really good with protocols. We're really good at following protocols. And so if you say, hey, stop the protocol, that may cause some issues. Right. So from your standpoint in doing antimicrobial stewardship, how does this affect antimicrobial stewardship? So the data is really strong about receiving antimicrobials early in cases of sepsis and septic shock. I mean, it's it's very clear that that reduces morbidity and mortality with true sepsis. But the problem with these guidelines is it includes severe sepsis and septic shock. Those two are kind of intertwined in these guidelines. And so a patient with septic shock should be treated in the same way that of severe sepsis or sepsis in general. And as a clinician, that's not always the case. If I have a patient that has a fever, a high white count, and are requiring pressors, that's the perfect patient for getting antimicrobials in soon. But if I have a patient that came into the emergency department with very vague symptoms and maybe only meets two QSOFA criteria, which could be that his respiratory rate is 23, and maybe he seems a little bit confused per family, but it's not completely clear, I would probably want a little bit more data before just throwing a random antimicrobial at them because I may not know where their source is. In your experience in doing hospital epidemiology, once the antibiotics are triggered, how difficult is it to stop the antibiotics? In my role on the Antimicrobial Stewardship Committee, we have worked hard to try to stop empiric antimicrobial therapy at 72 hours, which is hopefully by the time that you have culture data and you have more information on a patient. It's extremely hard to stop antimicrobials once they start because, first of all, you don't want to miss sepsis. I mean, no one wants to. And second of all, if your cultures are negative, what do you do then? And it's once someone has triggered that protocol, it's really hard to get off of that. And with your interest in multidrug-resistant organisms, are these the type of patients who develop multidrug resistance? Potentially. That's another issue with the guidelines. They mention in their combination therapy kind of throughout the guidelines that you should start prompt combination therapy. Well, what exactly is combination therapy? Well, as an infectious disease physician, combination therapy means that I'm utilizing two antimicrobial agents to target one specific pathogen. The common one is typically pseudomonas. So if you have a lot of resistant pseudomonas in your hospital, you would want to target with two antimicrobials in order to make sure that you are hitting the right target. But then there's the concept of multi-drug therapy. And multi-drug therapy is utilizing two antimicrobials as empiric therapy. So typically, we do a broad gram-positive agent such as vancomycin and a broad gram-negative agent such as piperacillin tazobactam or cefepime or something like that. But these guidelines kind of intertwine those words and it makes it a little bit confusing to choose the appropriate antimicrobial therapy. So what happens then? Well, if you put them on these big broad spectrum antibiotics, that kills off a lot of your gut microbacteria. And then you can ultimately get these multidrug resistant pathogens, which we see in a lot of patients that remain in the hospital for prolonged periods of time. Additionally, you can get things like Clostridium difficile from giving these broad spectrum antimicrobial agents. So, having read this article and this wonderful editorial, and we highly recommend that you at least look at the article and read carefully the editorial, we're stuck with two predictive models that are really not that good. 
one that's very sensitive but very nonspecific, and one that has modest sensitivity and modest specificity. The SIRS is very sensitive. QSOFA is not that sensitive and not that specific. Right. What should we be doing in 2018? There are a lot of hospitalists who are going to be listening to us right now, and they're confused. There are a lot of residents who are listening to us, and they're confused. And a lot of hospitals who are just making rules. Right. I think it's hard because we get pulled in different directions. I think the QSOFA and the SERS criteria, they're tools to help us clinicians make the right choices for our patients. And if hospitals do have these QSOFA and QSepsis and QSERS, whatever you want to call it, if that trigger is positive in a patient, I think as a clinician, we should be on the forefront to going and seeing that patient quickly and then determining what steps we need to do next. If we think it's sepsis, then great. We start the sepsis protocol and we move down that pathway. If it turns out that we think, oh man, this person could have a myocardial infarction, then we go down that pathway. But if anything, it should trigger a response from a clinician to go see the patient quickly. And I think that's the ultimate goal for these screening tools. So it seems like there's two parts here. Number one is the screening tool should trigger our attention. And we're a little nervous about the clock starting We're probably going to be fairly liberal about starting antibiotics, but there will be patients who get triggered who you feel fairly strongly don't have infection. Am I saying that right? Yeah, and I think a good screening tool would have a lot of people that you want to rule in and identify, then you decide from there if they can then be ruled out. Does that make sense? Yes. And then, while it's not in this article, this is your expertise Over the next 72 hours, if we're taking care of that patient, we have a responsibility to really look and see if they did have sepsis and if they didn't have sepsis. My understanding in 2018 is one of the most important things we can do is antimicrobial stewardship and stop antibiotics when we don't have a good reason to continue them. Yes, correct. And I think that's one more thing that the guidelines kind of make it a little hazy. They say continue antimicrobials for seven to 10 days if the patient is improving. But as clinicians, if we have other alternative explanations for the reason that that patient was hypotensive, then I want us to use our smarts to be able to say it's okay to stop those antimicrobial therapies. So I think you've done a great job in helping us understand this, Rachel. What's the take-home message to the hospitalists and residents who are listening to us? I would say, just like everything else, guidelines are guidelines, but what matters most is caring for the patient. And if we have rapid early warning systems to identify patients at risk, I think they're worth it. They're worth our time to go and see those patients and then decide further as to what needs to happen next. And I would only add, knowing that the sensitivity and specificities are not perfect and rereading these articles, keeping that in mind so that you don't think that QSOFA or SIRS is a test that gives you an absolute diagnosis but just gets you closer to diagnosis is something for us to all remember. I agree. That's a great thought. Thank you so much, Rachel. I think this has been very illuminating and really appreciate your input on helping us understand these wonderful articles. Thank you. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. The article and the discussion clearly demonstrate the problems of both SIRS and QSOFA. SIRS, while being very sensitive, is very nonspecific. QSOFA is neither very sensitive nor specific. Dr. Lee makes it very clear that we need to combine these screening tools with careful clinical evaluation. 
The early diagnosis and appropriate treatment of sepsis remains very important. The screening tests should lead to careful evaluation, but careful observation over the upcoming days when one does start antibiotics is important so that we don't give antibiotics unnecessarily for too long. This is a major problem in hospital patients that requires more attention than just a simple number. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast as much as I have. Thanks for listening. For more episodes of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.